Okay, this story is called Foot and Mouth Disease, The Aftermath. It's from It's a Rum Life, Book 4, Volume 2, Northcote, 1998-2008. Many will remember foot and mouth disease striking England in 2001. It spread and stopped, then spread a bit more and stopped again. No one was sure if it could be totally contained or not. It was springtime and before it finished, over six million cows and sheep had been killed. Close to our centre here in Lincolnshire are numerous farms full of livestock, that is cows and sheep, the most vulnerable animals of all. Not forgetting some of the largest pig farms in the UK only a few short miles away. At the beginning we saw the consequences of farmers losing all their livestock. We saw farmers committing suicide because they could not cope with the tragedy and incredible loss of everything they had worked for and developed for countless years. We decided that if we stayed open to visitors they would be, could be coming from infected areas or close to infection. If any farms close to us caught this dreadful disease, we would never know if it had not been caused by us. Our declaration was published in the press and television. The actual financial loss to us by staying closed to visitors would be a minimum of £40,000 and could be as high as £60,000. We would lose our entire income for the centre for one year. No visitors, no income. Our physical costs at this time were between 130 and 150 pounds each and every day. Ruth had already been paying off our huge debts created by the commencement of the National Lottery out of her own wages and there was no money to spare for anything. I'm sure readers will already be aware that all our helpers are voluntary, including myself. I started working at the centre in 1988 and finished in 2008 and never drew a penny in wages all this time. My national insurance stamps was paid for me by credits from the government as my wages were officially below the national minimum. It could not be lower than zero. In brackets, there are consequences of this in retirement, that is my re weekly state pension is a long way from the maximum as my stamp credits never reach the required level. So far, after 10 years of retirement, at the time of writing this story in 2018, Ruth and I have managed so far, as our needs are relatively small. Back to the story and the momentous decision to not open our gates for a whole year. We were congratulated by the local farming community for our stand, but that was it. It would have been nice to have a few bales of hay delivered by the grateful farmers, but it is known historically that Lincolnshire farmers are almost as tight-fisted as Scotsmen are reputed to be. This was the time when we still had John Cox from Grimsby helping the chap who had helped collect that lorry from Lancashire. John was good for ideas and he came up with the idea of begging second-hand pallets from businesses up and down the county, using our new lorry, bringing them back to the centre where we had extra space as we had no visitors. 
Here we could sort the pallets into sizes and states of repair, store them in their respective categories and then sell them to pallet dealers for badly needed cash. John started us off with an agreement from Birdseye at Grimsby, John's employers, for us to take all their unwanted pallets. I used my older business contacts from my Firestone days in South Lincolnshire and obtained several good offers from the Spalding area. We were in business. The old Ferguson tractor had a forklift attachment so mechanical handling was on site. Before long you could not see the centre buildings for pallets. There seemed to be, and most likely were, thousands of the things all over the concrete area from entrance to animal buildings. Sorting them was fairly easy, as we were not geared up to actually doing repairs, broken ones ended up in our central heating. I suppose it was about six months after the beginning that we noticed the quality of pallets took a turn for the worst. Our suppliers liked the initial idea that they were supporting a local animal charity, but everywhere we went after those few months the story was the same. We could only have the waste now, and they were unsaleable. Waste pallets were also dangerous to carry on an open lorry, as they were unstable. We decided to call it a day, and be thankful that for a few months at least, we had been able to pay the bills. We managed to be involved in a few events and activities away from home that brought in a little income, and we appealed for help through the national and local media. A free load of hay did come our way from a firm in Yorkshire, but despite the fact that people mean well and do their best, the end product is not always what you need. The hay was very welcome, but we did not know anything of its history. Why do you need to know the history of your hay, you might ask? It's critically important that you know where the hay has come from. Hay for horses has to be of high quality, dust-free and free of poisonous weeds. It's not just for the horses either. When us humans are dishing it out, the last thing we need is dusty hay spreading its harmful spores into our lungs as well as the horses. Poor hay can also be very harmful in another way. If the pasture it has come from is not well tended, it can have bad plants in it like ragwort. Ragwort is that tall yellow plant that grows wild and unchecked over much of the UK, especially on roadsides. Despite the fact that it is designated a poisonous plant and dangerous to animals, there is a law that requires it to be removed from everywhere it grows. This law is seldom recognised or acted upon. Ragwort kills horses in its dry form slowly and painfully. Over years, it slowly destroys some of the important organs. There is no antidote or cure. The worst thing of all is that you never really know that your horse has eaten it, unless you actually see it in the feed. By the time your hay has sat around for a few months, any ragwort has well dried out and disintegrated and looks no different to any other plant. As 2001 was coming to an end, the government declared that they were going to promote tourism in the countryside. So much had been lost by rural businesses depending on visitors that eventually the national government announced grants for rural, rural tourism enterprises. 
It was announced that grants were to begin at about £15,000 and go up much higher. We received our paperwork and duly filled it in, ever hopeful that this government handout we might be able to survive for another year or two. There were no initial limiting criteria regarding who or what would be eligible. This only came about after our hopes had been raised and we had been assured we would receive help. When the crunch came, we were eliminated. Our business was, was not a registered charity, but we had always declared that our aims were charitable and not profit-making. Who could possibly make a profit when looking after 15 or so ages and aged and helpless heavy horses that nobody else would lift a hand to look after at all? We received not a penny from that handout because it was decided we were not a proper business. We did know that profit-making animal petting farms that existed just to make sufficient money to buy the, the boss a new car or two were in receipt of countless thousands of pounds to improve their premises and provide better facilities for visitors. Several deserving businesses up and down the country needing help did get it. I had never felt more bitter against the decision makers since the lottery started. This felt like a personal attack on everything we had been doing and continued to try and achieve at Northcote. I still feel it was fixed against us, as I had always been outspoken against corruption, and the like, and where big amounts of money are involved that does not need to be repaid, there will always be corruption. Northcote got nothing, and continued with its handmade signs, old worn-out buildings and volunteer labour. It was another very hard time and the stress was again almost unbearable. But then, at the very end of the year, we received our very first ever legacy. A lady schoolteacher from Louth who had died and left us £2,500. We decided to use it straight away to help make life easier for us at the centre and bought our dream, a large twin-cylinder garden tractor and even larger engine-driven vacuum-powered horse poo collector to make the paddocks free of manure. This would result in better grazing for the resident animals, not forgetting the lack of backache for the poor old daily two-legged poo collectors themselves. There we are, that's the end of that little story brought to you by Cracker Books, written and read by Keith Sanders. Uh, there are lots more stories to read on keithsandersisthestoryman.wordpress.com uh, lots more free stories on this Buzzsprout site. Uh, lots of free videos to watch on Keith Sanders, the short story man on YouTube. And there's a shop where you can buy and download all the books. Uh, stories that you listen to or read are compiled in books. There's three at the moment. They're easy to download off the internet. They're very inexpensive. Do have a look. RichardKeithSanders.Sells.com Thank you for listening.